You are listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, where it's all about responding with confidence to the legal, financial, and personal challenges created by disability, unexpected illness, or simply aging in general. Join us weekly as elder law attorneys Tim Takis, Barbara McGinnis, Chris Johnson, and other members of the Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Team talk about the tools, techniques, strategies, and services that will make the elder care journey easier for everyone involved. Get ready, because aging starts now. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Aging Starts Now. I'm partner and certified elder law attorney, Barbara McGinnis, along with licensed clinical social worker and elder care coordinator, Deborah King. We find that many people are unclear about what to do when a loved one passes. It can be an uncomfortable topic, so no one wants to talk about it. So many people are left wondering how to handle it. Deborah, what's the difference between dying at home on hospice versus dying at home while not on hospice or dying at a facility? Who do you call first? Well, the most obvious answer with the facility is there would be staff present that you could get in touch with if you were you were the first one to find that someone had passed away. Um, often a facility will call you if it's an unexpected death and notify you of the death. And then the facility typically will handle who to contact um, regarding disposition of the body and whether a medical examiner needs to be involved. At home, it becomes a little more complicated, especially if hospice is not involved and if it's an unexpected death. Um, so if you woke up or you went over to visit your parent or loved one and found that they had passed away, um, typically the first person you would call would be the police or notify the authorities, especially in an unexpected situation. Um, whenever someone passes away in unusual circumstances like that, usually outside of a facility, the authorities need to be notified um, just to rule out that there's no foul play or it's not a criminal situation. Um, it's in an elderly person, that's usually the case, um, but a call is often made to the medical examiner to determine whether an autopsy is needed or not. If hospice is involved um, with someone at home, um, often hospice would be present in the home at or around the time of death, but if they're not, say it happens unexpectedly, um, hospice would be who you would contact first, typically your hospice nurse, to let them know what happened. And then they would come and make an evaluation and notify the authorities, help you make, um, notify the funeral home to come and um, transport the body to the funeral home. Um, at home, usually hospice in those circumstances will also take care of preparing the body, cleaning it up and making it presentable and, and typically allowing family at that time, um, time to visit and and say their goodbyes and spend some time um, with the body, with the spirit to help them with some of that closure. That may not be the case if hospice is not involved because it becomes more of an official event and the final goodbyes and saying 
spending time at the end would probably happen more likely at a funeral home. Well, that's a lot of information. It's almost like, like we need a flow chart if we die at home versus, oh, anyway, that was confusing, Deborah. Thank you for all of that information, though. Um, so, okay, now we have someone that we love that's passed away. We've got them properly taken care of, notified, the coroner, the police, the whoever needs to know. They're at the funeral home. The funeral's happened. Now what do we start doing? We've got work to do. And, and that's part of that estate administration part of work. But who, who calls Social Security? Do we have to do that? Um, actually, no. Um, the funeral homes are required to notify Social Security. I believe this came about many years ago when there were some problems with people notifying Social Security inaccurately and benefits getting inappropriately terminated. Mm -hmm. So they decided it needed to be an official event. And so the funeral homes are the ones who um, will notify Social Security and then flowing from there, Medicare is notified of the death. Um, and then depending on who holds the supplements or the supplemental medical insurance or the drug plans, they may or may not be notified. If it's you know, through a, a supplemental plan, they may be notified. If it's through a retirement policy, they may not be. But um, Social Security starts that chain rolling, or the funeral home starts the Social Security chain rolling. Um, and then we start looking at um, who else needs to be notified. Um, if the funeral, if it's a veteran um, and there were veteran um, services during the funeral, then the funeral home may have notified the VA of the death. Um, but if the person was receiving some type of VA benefit, um, they, v veterans affairs may need to be notified of the death so that they can stop those payments or offer payments to the survivors. Yeah. That whole thing about what happens to Social Security, uh, that can, I know we get a lot of questions about that. Lot and of questions. Th that confuses almost everyone. So, persons receiving Social Security, let's say they died during the month of May. This is May. Mm -hmm. They get their check in May. They just don't get their check for May. And that's what confuses people, right? Because the check they receive in May is really for April. Correct, correct. Typically, we look at um, the check that was received during the month of death. If you, what did I say? If you've lived one day in the month, you're eligible for the check that you receive in that month, um, but you're not eligible for the next month because Social Security pays in arrears. So if you died May 1st, you could keep the May check. If you died June 1st, you get the June check, yeah. <laughs> if you died May 30th, you don't get the June the check. June check. There you go. But you may get the June check. It's just that Social Security may take it back because they probably, if you die on May 30th, they probably don't get noticed in time to stop the June payment, depending on what point of the month you get paid. Right. But, you know, regardless, the bank knows that that check goes back. One thing we've seen lately with Social Security is that even though the 
decedent should receive the check during the month in which they passed away. Oftentimes, Social Security is either withholding or withdrawing that payment and making um, families apply for it. I've seen that with some frequency, haven't you? Yes, yes. That's That was kind of a new thing that started happening where um, they take that month of death check back, but then a month later send the family a form saying, you do qualify for this check. Here's a form to apply for it. And I, I don't understand where that how that or why that happens, but um, just knowing that you're eligible for that month of death would encourage you to pursue that. The right. other thing we see with that in a married couple then is um, the, uh, only a surviving spouse, not surviving children, but a surviving spouse would be eligible for a $255 death benefit. So a lot of times that will just appear in your um, account that your social security is deposited into and then you get the letter after it's deposited. So we always tell families to kind of watch out for that. However, there are some circumstances where that doesn't happen automatically. And what I've found is um, that frequently is when the husband's check is not linked to the wife's check because the wife is drawing on her own benefits. She's not drawing on her spousal benefits. or she. Um, so... Social Security doesn't connect the two accounts, so the surviving spouse may, in that circumstance, need to notify Social Security that they are the surviving spouse of a deceased benefits recipient um, to claim that. And then that also gives Social Security the opportunity to review the benefits because, as we know, um, in a marital situation, a a surviving spouse is eligible for the highest benefit available. So it's frequently would be for the highest worker. They may get an increase in their benefit. All right. So that's Social Security. But if the decedent also has pension, then um, the person that's going to be in charge of the estate is going to notify these pension providers um, probably are going to want to see a death certificate, but you do have to notice them individually, right? There's no like big clearinghouse that you Correct. can, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice? Uh, and then that leads us to then, so once we've taken care of stopping all the income, you mentioned veterans benefits, we've mentioned social security, pension, that kind of takes care of all the income that's coming in. Then we start making sure that places that hold assets for the decedent is noticed, whether that's the bank or an investment brokerage firm or, you know, whoever it might be, life insurance people, mm -hmm. then we start noticing all of those folks. And almost mm -hmm. every one of them will want to see a death certificate. So when you're thinking about how many death certificates do I need to request from the funeral home when you're preparing for that, kind of like how many banks, how many financial institutions, how many life insurance policies do we have that, that we're going to have to start counting that up and, and notifying these people. Some of those assets will then be payable to the beneficiaries listed. Like if you have 401ks or IRAs, they may go ahead and just, that may be one of the easier assets that pass after death so that they just, it's just going to go to the beneficiaries. 
Right. Um, right. Life insurance, you got to get the claim forms um, and claim on those. You can kind of see why organization is really, really important as adults, that we want to have our affairs. Having our affairs in order is more than just having powers of attorney and a will in place. It is literally being organized so that when you die, your family's not doing some big scavenger hunt trying to figure out where is your stuff. I was just going to comment on that because it's it's important to know where does the pension come from and especially um, if it's an old pension, if it's 20 or 30 years old, it could be, be, be handled by somebody that's not who daddy worked for or mama worked for. Mm-hmm. And so having information as to where that pension comes from and how do you contact them? Um, you know, it doesn't, especially with direct deposit these days, we don't always know the name of the company that's sending the check and how do we contact them. So as we organize listing, not only I get this money, but who does it come from? What's the contact number? Um, thank goodness for search engines for Google because you can sometimes find that information online. Um, and the same with all your investment accounts and life insurance. Oh my gosh, if you have a life insurance policy that's no good anymore, throw the paperwork out. <laughs> people spend a lot of time notifying and trying to search for policies and claim policies that no longer exist. So yes, decluttering and organizing, they go together. Um, talking about making this easy for the folks that you leave behind. So who is in charge of the estate? It is no longer the power of attorney because that authority dies when the principal passes. Right. And then, so we're hoping for, we're looking for uh, trustee authority or if, uh, if all we have is a will and we have assets without beneficiary designations, we are talking about probate. And that's where they will appoint an executor or a personal representative to manage the estate. If there's no will, we call that an administrator. And it's the administrator of an intestate estate. And the court gives you a document, papers of authority, and those papers are called letters testamentary. Um, So that often is necessary to uh, actively and effectively administer an estate. It also gives you authority to deal with creditors because, you know, so far you and I've just been talking about income and assets. We haven't talked about liabilities that need Mm -hmm. to be dealt with after, after death. And literally I have opened probate for estates for the sole purpose of dealing with creditors and it's because you need legal authority to be able to negotiate on behalf of the deceased person. Right, right. What other things that do you see, frequently see our families? I know you provide a lot of emotional support to families who are going through this end-of-life uh, period of time. But what do you do about following the final wishes? What do you do first? Um. And again, this goes back to your organizing, not only just organizing your 
paperwork, but sharing with your family where the paperwork is and what your wishes are. Um, how do you want your final arrangements to be managed? Have you made pre-arrangements so they know just to go to the funeral home and the funeral home pulls out a form and all everything's taken care of except for a few loose ends and picking the date um so there's you know notifying the funeral home and making those arrangements um if they have not been made um one thing we encounter on occasion is if cremation is preferred um to know that there are specific rules about cremation and who can sign for that if the individual has not made pre-arrangements and indicated that they wanted cremation um then it's comes down to all of the family members involved have to sign off that cremation is okay. Um, and in a blended family or in a family where there are estranged members, that can be difficult. So particularly um, with cremation, but also with funeral arrangements, making your wishes known to the people that will be in charge or involved with handling those arrangements, but also making it known to the entire family so there's no dissent um, at that time. It can be a stressful time. It obviously is an emotional time. And so making sure your wishes are known so they can be followed out as detailed or as sparse as you wish them to be. Uh, do this, don't do that, I don't want that um, kind of thing. So you can control a few things before you pass away. Um, but also, I certainly in that time, I advise families that that is the most important time for families. You make the, the first thing you do is go down to the funeral home or the crematory and make your arrangements and set your services. And then the next couple of weeks are just for you, taking care of yourself, um, visiting with family members, um, reminiscing, um, and doing what you need to do to manage the situation. Um, sometimes it becomes, there are people who have to be busy um, or want to go ahead and just start handling the business. And if that's the case, there's a lot of things that you can do, but a lot of things you cannot do until you actually get the death certificate. And that can take um, from a few days to a few weeks to get that, depending on the circumstances. So um, know that you have to have the death certificate to enact a lot of the business um, afterwards. Absolutely. Well, Deb, there's a lot of stuff to talk about, and we probably haven't even scratched the surface about that. I do always encourage people to pre-plan their funeral and prepay if they can afford to, but at least to plan and to let people know. Um, it's, it's a very personal thing that I feel passionate about. I thank you for everything you know and what you help our families through. That's it for today's episode, and we thank our listeners for listening. Take Us McGinnis is a life care planning law firm helping families respond to the legal and financial challenges caused by chronic illness or disability. Join us next week for another episode of Aging Starts Now. Thank you for listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast. For more information about today's show, visit tn-elderlaw.com, click on the free resources tab, and then click on Aging Starts Now. 
You'll find the show notes there. And while you're at it, why not check out all the free resources available at tn-elderlaw.com. Document downloads, the Tagus McGinnis blog, educational videos, informative articles, helpful links, a TV show, and more. It's all there free for the taking. If you enjoy listening to the Aging Starts Now podcast, please subscribe, rate the show, or leave us a review. It's easy to do on whatever app you use to listen. We would love your feedback on the show. Aging Starts Now. We'll be back next week with more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. 